Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. This begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two minutes past nine, you are tuned to 102.7, 3 Triple R. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. Oh, I'm Rex Hunter. How are you, Rex? Good, good. Good. And, come on, Kent. Oh, hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Beach decides to uh, take a sickie. <laughs> and now I've got to pretend to be a marine biologist. Yeah, you do. <laughs> just, just tap into your inner George from Seinfeld. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Because yes, that day course. you were a marine biologist, <laughs> Ken. Awesome. Hi, uh, yes, and um, hello out there. To Dr. Beach, he's not feeling very well. Decided All my best, Beach. We decided to tell him to stay away. No. <laughs> yes. It's not C-word related, we should. No, no. No, um, no he's, he's just not feeling so good. So, we, you know, be on the safe side. Stay yeah. away. Um, so, here we are. And thank you very much to Tim for Vital Bits. Thank you very much to Andrew for Soulful Bits. Thank you very much to Edith for things to do today. And don't we all feel all the better for just hearing their beautiful dulcet tones? Oh, it's always good to wake up to uh, Triple R, I find. Yes. We were saying that as we walked into the studio because we're in kind of crazy times right now. And there's just, just this sense of calm. Feels like a safe space, I think. <laughs> it really in does. In the vernacular. Yes. Because we can padlock the door, it feels very, very safe. <laughs> <laughs> Not just in studio, but on air as well. I yeah. was... Um, I was heading home last night after um, after a birthday gathering, and uh, uh, you know, turn on the car and up popped Livewire with Paulie and Nerida, yep. and I just thought, yeah, okay, this is this is this is good. All's right with the world. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Tim, Tim's making faces. Something with a tissue. <laughs> 
Excellent. All right. On Either today's that or it's a zombie. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not Tim. All right. Um, on today's show, Rex. That's me. Is yeah. this your first program for 2020? Yes. It is. A, I was at field work last time. Right. So, uh, That's right. Having a look at shipwreck off Ryan. So, yeah. Excellent. But you're not talking about that today. You're bringing no. us up to speed with the goings on with the MAAV. The MAAV and the, uh, yes, the uh, Gold Rush fires, ship fires during the 1850s. So Cool. Yeah. Tell you all about that and how exciting it was. Great. MAAV being the Maritime Archaeology Association of Victoria. Very good. Yes, yes. You'll tick you off for that one. <laughs> Excellent. We're also going to cross to um, to Dr. Surf for a surf report. Surf report. Yes. It took a, took a global pandemic, but um, it's we've managed to get Dr. Surf <laughs> to agree to be back. <laughs> no, I'm really looking forward to talking to him and finding out what's going on with surf. How good it is and, yeah. and uh, yeah, whether... Whether they're breaking. Yeah. We are then going to cross over to Warrnambool, I believe, um, to speak with Associate Professor Dan Yerodiakonu uh, about some exciting imagery that they've taken. There was some, a little bit of media on this in the last, uh, about a month ago. Um, newly discovered landscape in the middle of Bass Strait. It's in the Apollo Bay Marine National Park. Um, and some fantastic imagery that they've brought up. Um, critical habitat for fish, hotspot for marine bi- um, biodiversity, but also the wreck of a particular World War II vessel. Um, I was having a chat with Dan yesterday on the phone um, just at home, and he said it would be of particular interest to you, Rex. Not the city of Rayville, is it? I think it is. Oh, yeah, I've seen Dan's work on that. Yeah, excellent. Well, you'll be able to speak with him yourself about that. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he he's amazing. He's done a lot of multi-beam work around Victorian coast. He's multi-beam, multi-beam by Refuse Cove and off Phillip Island. So he's yeah, been very, very, very busy. Excellent. So we look forward to that conversation. Uh, then we're going to catch up with Holger Janus about some fantastic new research uh, that he's been doing. He's a PhD student. Actually, it's a bit of a Deakin fest, especially in the second half of the show. <laughs> he's doing, doing his PhD at Deakin Uni, um, putting a value on the contribution of coastal ecosystems to the diet of fish, which is really interesting because as conf- conservationists, we know how important mangrove, salt marsh, seagrass habitats are. And as um, obviously in providing ecosystems in their own right, fisheries aside, but also they do provide a really important um, protective nursery ground environment for fish of commercial interest. So mm. fish that um, fisheries uh, obviously are, are particularly interested in, in looking after future generations. But in terms of putting a dollar factor on it, mm. how much are these things worth? Well, how do you get fish to pay you in the first place? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Boom dish. I missed you, Wes. <laughs> I've got heaps of dad jokes. Here all week, two shows on Tuesday. Try the veal. So excellent. Well, you can, you can ask him that. You can make that comment. So we'll have Holger on towards the end of the show. All right, bit of weather. Today, 20. We've definitely moved into, into uh, autumn weather. Uh, 20 degrees, partly cloudy, slight chance of a light shower in the western suburbs in the morning. Winds southeasterly, 15 to 25 kilometres an hour, turning southerly in the afternoon. Tomorrow uh, will be lovely, 25 and sunny. Um, those winds still southeasterly, 15 to 20 kilometres per hour, and uh, becoming light and then becoming oh, more of an easterly direction to 20 kilometres an hour in the late evening. Uh, Tuesday, oh, Perla, 27. Isn't that 27 perfect temperature? I think it's generally pretty good, kind of it? accepted. Yeah. Sunny, light winds. Our Wednesday, 29. So we're going to continue to increase up to uh, to Wednesday, 29. 
Uh, no rain, partly cloudy. Thursday, 28, partly cloudy. And uh, Friday, we might get a possible shower and down to 20s. But it's mostly, mostly going to hover around the mid to high 20s and be sunny for the week. Yeah, I noticed the barometer at home went through the roof uh, during the week. So, yeah. so a, I should have thought you would have a barometer. <laughs> Do you have several? Just one, that's enough. <laughs> I call we I call it a marriage saver because before we had the bar- barometer at home, yep. there's nothing to talk about. So you get up in the morning, <laughs> you tap the barometer, and you say, "Oh, <laughs> the barometer's rising, dear." <laughs> and then the is that the end <laughs> of the conversation? He's like learning a lot. And then Jane will say, "Well, yes, it is, isn't it?" <laughs> and we go off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it saved your marriage tricks. <laughs> Tide times, Point Lonsdale. Heading for a low tide at 10 to 11, at 10.48 this morning. And then a high tide at 5.39pm. And uh, I'm not going to do surf forecast because Dr Surf can do that mm. a little bit later on. Uh, a couple of things we might mention and then I think we'll play a track. Oh, look, this is a big one and we really just glossed over it partly because last week was International Women's Day, which already mm. feels like it was about 10 years ago. <laughs> but... Um, uh, Anthony and uh, Dr. Beach mentioned this very quickly in passing. Um, Equinor abandoned their plans. This feels like really old news yeah. now, but I couldn't let it go past without actually play, paying it some proper attention. Yeah. This is a really, really big deal. Um, obviously, the significance of their announcement and what it means for the protection, at least in the meantime, for not just the Great Australian Bight, but the coastline that extends in both directions for a really long way. As far as New Zealand, too, because... Bits of wrecks from there have ended up in New Zealand, so there's no reason why oil couldn't find its way there as well. That's right. Um, but it's also it's a highly significant uh, announcement in terms of its meaning for the conservation movement and the combined efforts of not just um, key organisations like the Wilderness Society, um, Patagonia were on board as well, and uh, literally on board were lots and lots of surfers <laughs> who went out there and staged paddle outs all around the country over a really long period of time. So... It's, yeah. a, it's a really significant win yep. for the protection, not specifically the conservation movement, mm. but it is for them. But, of course, just, just in terms of the protection of this wonderful piece of coastline. And it's a much-needed motivation to keep up the activism and the attention. It shows that you can deal with these big multinationals, or in this case it's a state-owned company, but, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Put the wind back there in our sails. There yeah. can be some good news. Yeah. And we need it. <laughs> More than ever. <laughs> So, look, congratulations to uh, to everyone who was mm. part of that because it went on for a long time and there were a lot of extremely happy messages coming through when that... I don't think people could believe it, actually. Yeah. I think everyone thought there might be a catch somewhere mm. or yeah. there'll be a condition <laughs> or, a, you know, there's a fine print note at the bottom of the media release or something, but no, nope, it's done. Fantastic. Well done. By citizens too, mainly. Pardon? By citizen, just the average citizen. Yes, that's right. Um, another one I've been carting around in my bag for a while. <laughs> is it, Look, this is just a stay tuned. There's a new design that has been approved um, for the uh, for the little jetty at the end of St Kilda Beach. So this has been um, the Brooks Jetty, which uh, Mount Webb wrote a song about actually, um, which was demolished. It was lost in 2015 opposite Luna Park. But there's a new um, design which has been approved it's pretty cool. I mean, it's very different. It's not your sort of traditional jetty, but it has a wave style to it. Right. And um, as far as design is uh, concerned, there's a, a lot of people sort of quite happy about this and what it looks like. So, right. right. Hmm. So how long? How long is it going to be? Does it say? Um, it uh, hundred meters towards the beach. So curved, ste- stepped wave looks both across to sunset and back a hundred meters towards the beach. 
So I believe it's about 100 metres long. And functionally, Bron, is it anything more than uh, just a pedestrian jetty? Is it being used for anything else? Um, I don't think so. As in, like, are there, can you jump off it? Can you dive oh. off it? Go swimming? <laughs> well, or are they going to put uh, boats up against it anywhere? From the from the um, the artist's impression here, it does look like it's being designed for people to, to jump off and have a swim. It's actually quite low to the water. Cool. So there are people snorkeling off it, people sort of sitting oh, on yeah. the edge of it. Yeah. It's kind of, it's tiered. Yeah. So there's a sort of series of very yeah. gentle steps that go down to the, the water edge. So... Yeah, really fantastic. Looking forward to seeing that one develop. Is there a crane to jump off, jump off those, right? <laughs> a crane? <laughs> like we used to do off Port Arlington Pier when we were kids. <laughs> oh, you used to jump off cranes, did you? There was a crane at the wharf. Those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. No way, oh, H&S back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Down at Eastern Beach in Geelong, there's that enclosed little oh, space. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's got all sorts of things going on around the perimeter <laughs> of, the, of the pier. Triple R is where you are. It is 20 minutes past nine. And uh, just before those announcements, that was Johnny Casino with Ghost Ships. Played that one for you, Rex. Oh. <laughs> Thought you might like you it. You probably noticed a tear coming out of one of my eyes there, Bron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad it affected you so deeply. So, maritime archaeology, where do you want to start? Well, um, I'll just, uh, first off, I'll just talk about um, uh, production by a company called Wind in Sky on the... Uh, Garden the mission to seafarers uh, in well it's in the Docklands. Anybody's ever been down the past uh, that Eddie Ed Stadium and you've come to that right angle, right or left hand corner into our uh, sort of Spencer Street. You know, so there's a, a sort of concrete dome there. Well, that's the mission to seafarers, and their their job since the 1850s look after the, the welfare of seamen travelling all around the world to Melbourne, and that they stay there. Positioned, there's positions of them all around the world. So you, you know, you just come in from um, Sweden or whatever, and you're looking for uh, somewhere to stay, or you know, a game of cards, or bit of company. You can they go in there, and mm. you looked after. And there was a during uh, the, the First World War, there was a, a group of women called the Harbour Lights, and they looked after the uh, welfare of all the all the sea seamen. And if, if you can imagine, they were vital to keep the uh, economy of the world moving because they were, the casualty rate f amongst them was pretty well, I think it was worse than the, um, some of the armies and that type of thing. So they had an important job and there's a recent documentary by Wind and Sky Productions on the 17-minute uh, doco on the, uh, these wonderful women and a bit of the history on the, uh, the mission to seafarers. So Where can you catch the doco, Rex? You can um, Google... Wind and Sky Productions to uh, and just type in Harbour Lights and so also available. There is a link there to YouTube and also on YouTube itself. Okay. So yeah, very very neat little um, compact doco on the history of the, uh, history of the mission to seafarers. Yeah, important work they've done over the years. Fantastic. I'm going to look that one up. Yeah. So um, also the uh, MWV, we've been out and about. Uh, we found uh, two new wrecks over Christmas. So. One fits in with with what I've been working on, like the uh, gold gold rush ship, ships of um, Hobson's Bay, and uh, there was a, a motorboat about about ten metre motorboat, and these are all off sort of Middle Park, I suppose. So they were oh. been out mowing the lawns. So they're in the northern part of Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, were yeah. these wrecks that your group was looking for, or did they just stumble across them? Well, a bit of both. Really. Okay, <laughs> we were sort of. Um, 
went out checking out, out some targets out there and uh, lo and behold we found uh, bits of the uh, a vessel called the Protector and uh, this other, other site, a little uh, motorboat. Tell us about the Protector. Well, this is where we tie, tie back in the gold rush shipwrecks okay. of um, the 1850s. So if you can imagine Melbourne in the 1850s, I, I imagine most people would have heard of the gold rushes. Um, and this is sort of built Victoria up from a little backward, uh, backward city up into a, a major player in the, in the world. And uh, it was like from, I think, prior to... Uh, sort of 1850s, there may be a couple of hundred international travels, tr ships that arrived in Melbourne, and after 1851, sort of 1852, this suddenly leaked up to, you know, 1,000, 1,500 vessels arriving, international vessels arriving in, in Melbourne. Um, and we know, as we know from the, the, the latest crisis in the world, the economy is op operated on boom and bust and fears and oversupply, undersupply. If you've been trying to find toilet paper at the moment, you, you know the speculators are probably cleaning up on that. So there would be booms and busts and just so happens that there was nine ships burnt in Hobson's Bay during between 1853 and 1861. This is the particular period I'm interested in because the sort of gold gold exports dropped off after that, and it went to deep mining, and and um, it wasn't it wasn't as part, much as part of the economy as it, as it had been. So nine ships burned in Hobson's Bay. Yeah, D were they all accidents? Were they well, insurance jobs? Were they? <laughs> do we know what do we know about them? What do we know? Was, uh, I've done a fair bit of research on this. So coincidentally. There was a depression in the um, in 1854, <coughs> and there was a depression in 1859. Coincidentally, there was major ship burning events at each of these periods. Okay, right. So I'm just joining the dots and saying they were basically they were insurance jobs. Yeah. Because there was material, there was cargo being landed, and they just couldn't get rid of it. So um, they were they were better off just collecting the insurance. Were money. they perishables? Is that why they couldn't get rid of them, or was everything? They, or there's just no market for them. There's just the, the market was just flooded. Like mm. people would make fortunes. A, a a ship would bring in a cargo of rice, and they'd make you know like twenty pounds a, a ton or twenty five pounds a ton, which is phenomenal money. Next ship arrived, and the the market's been full, full and the, the the person or syndicate that's brought the the rice in has uh, suddenly lost, you know, no, hundreds no. thousands of, of pounds in um, cargo. So these ships burned, and what happened to them then? Did they just sink into Hobson's Bay? Well, because um, Hobson's Bay was an important thoroughfare and uh, stopping off point and for uh, for coming and going, they had to get rid of them. So um, of the nine, um, all were raised um, or broken up, but they're still. If we get the thing, what well, thing called a, a footprint. So, if a uh, ship's burnt and sunk, and depending on whereabouts it is, like if you've got some nice sandy seabed, that'll leave a footprint because mm. you, you can't get rid of a whole vessel without leaving some sort some of some kind of footprint, some sort of evidence. So, um, over oh, it's about ten years ago, friend and I started doing side scan sonar work through there, and we found. First site called the Marilla, which was burnt in 1859. So that 
that was uh, broken up and removed. And, and uh, we found another site, bits of uh, another shipwreck. And then just recently we went out and uh, found the remains of the protector. So that was burnt in 1853, <coughs> removed by contractors. And then, but they didn't quite remove all of it and towed some of it offshore into about six metres of water. Yeah, right. Wow. So, and this is what you've just recently found. Yeah. and the, This is pretty exciting. Oh, I get excited. <laughs> I get very excited. That's a 170-year-old vessel. Yeah. Wow. Well, and the way I, you could tell is like all, we, all vessels had um, built to a certain s schedule. So Lloyd's Register said like y your bolts had to be a certain size and your trunnels, tree nulls had to be a certain size. So all the fittings were related to Lloyd's, Lloyd's schedule. And so I went out and measured up, or we went out and measured up various elements of this wreck and turned out to be the protector, which was very exciting. So what's next? Are you documenting what you've found? Are you going back out and having a look at what kind of evidence you can find? Yeah, well, uh, we're going out. Uh, we'll probably carry an excavation to see what it tells us about the um, the, con the uh, ship from the 1853. Fantastic. Yeah. Next time you come in, can you update us? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Rex. No problems. And uh, without any further ado, I believe we have Dr. <laughs> Surf on the line. Good morning, Dr. Surf. Hi, Brian. <laughs> how are you? Hey, Dr. Surf. How Rex are you? Hi, Rex. I'm having a very good morning. <laughs> I've been uh, being a little house husband tidying up and I found a secret stash of toilet paper. Oh, <laughs> 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 I gather you don't want but us to let our listeners know whereabouts you live. No, no. <laughs> Not that we would you know, anyway. I think I might go down to Frankston Station with the other dealers and sell it <laughs> $5 a roll, man. Five? It's good shit, I can tell you. Four uh -huh. ply. Four ply. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gold mine. Wow. wow. And so you didn't know about this secret stash that you had? No, no. That's, that's my wife. Nicks off to Costco every now and again and hides ah. it because I get grumpy and I just found it. So You must have felt like Charlie opening that last bar of chocolate and finding the golden ticket. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strange world we live in, Brian. We're <laughs> excited about toilet paper, but I am. <laughs> Excellent. Shall we turn our attentions to surf just for a little bit? Yes. Have you been yes. out surfing? Not today. Okay. It's not looking that good. It's there's look. You, there's a wave around. There's a swell. You'll probably it's probably about four foot down the surf coast, but it's choppy. The southerly's blown in, and um, there there might be a, a nice clean little wave in the Cat Bay area down at Phillip Island. But I mean, it's not too bad. It's not that windy. So and the water's still warm. So if you're after a wave, I'd go down to the points. I think the beaches will be too choppy. And get in there. But look, it was good this week. There's good signs about Wednesday, Thursday, and particularly Friday were, were very, very good. And I think midweek, the week coming up with the warmer weather, I think the beaches are looking good again, if you can find a good bank. And there are a few around. So it's, um, yeah, it's happy days. Summer's over and, and we're into March. So things are looking good. And heading back into that uh, that nice time of the year. And, of course, when you're out on the waves, it's probably one of the few places where you can be pretty comfortable that you're um, well away. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was out on Friday and it was pumping. It was perfect surfing. There was very few of us out there. And I turned to the kid who I surf with sometimes. I said, this isn't too bad, is it? Just a tip on that, if any of the listeners are getting a bit down, grumpy, my tip is don't watch the, the news, particularly in the morning. 
watch Bluey on ABC Kids. <laughs> I watched it this morning and I was I was on the floor with laughter. It's a classic. So, just, you know, don't worry about the mainstream media. Just watch ABC Kids. Everything's fine. Yes. <laughs> Except don't watch Daniel's Neighbourhood. It's about this little pathetic little Canadian tiger. Ugh. Oh, so <laughs> annoying. So don't watch Daniel's Tiger Tiger Daniel. Just watch Bluey. Bluey's great. And you'll feel happy and everything will be good in your life. I thought you'd just be watching The Simpsons sort of on, on repeat. I've seen them all. <laughs> and, hey, new Blueys are coming on Tuesday. But it, it's a classic Australian... I think it's set in Brisbane about Blue Healer and the family, and it's just got this undercurrent of Australian humour. It's very funny. Okay. The funniest show on TV. It's great. Makes me proud to be an Australian. <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear it, Dr. Sue. <laughs> and how awesome that it's um it's only taken a global pandemic to get you back on the show. So we we'll um hopefully hopefully get you back on in. Uh... Although clearly social distancing from us. <laughs> yeah, yes, true. I, I'm not I'm not coming in there to that scrofulous place. <laughs> I'm going down the nice clean peninsula. Thank you very much. But I'm happy to ring in. Excellent. And uh, I hope Dr. Beach is feeling better. Yes, we we all send out our big cheerios to Doctor Beach. Awesome. I don't think he's got. Uh, I don't think he's got the Miley Cyrus. You know, that's what they're calling it in England. Yeah. Hello. It's the rhyming slang. <laughs> oh, rhyming oh. slang for the coronavirus <laughs> is Miley Cyrus, which I think is just perfect. <laughs> Actually, yeah, maybe she, she is a bit of a virus, isn't she? And she's annoying. Isn't so... isn't well? Is I thought it was like a wrecking ball reference, but maybe not. No, no, it's just just classic Cockney rhyming slang. Nice. We'll have He's to. Got the Miley Cyrus. We'll have to go to the Miley's then, won't it? Won't it then re- retract to Miley's? <laughs> yeah, An update on the Miley's. The Miley's. <laughs> oh dear. Awesome. Thank, thanks, Doctor Surf. We're going to move on, that's but um, let's right. uh, let's get you back on again soon. And yes, yeah, social distancing is fine. <laughs> yeah, I'll come in if you if you provide me with a complete suit and I sit in a separate room. <laughs> <laughs> Trust you, city people. You're all diseased. <laughs> <laughs> On your doctor, sir. We'll catch you again okay, soon. Okay, ya. see you. Bye. Doctor, sir. There you go. That was nice. Bluey, apparently. Uh, Bluey's all the rage. Have to check out Bluey. <laughs> the grandkids watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seal of approval. Yeah. Yeah. They love it. Excellent. It is twenty uh, two minutes to ten o'clock. You're listening to Radio Maranara here on Three Triple R. Now, deep sea imagery has come a long way over the last few decades, and a new partnership between Deakin University, Parks Australia, and Ix Blue has recently led to some fantastic new imagery from Apollo <coughs> Bay Marine Park, with an important significance for what we know about the deep sea environment of Bass Strait. The latest mapping data collected in January reveals fine scale seabed features and habitat characteristics, including the extent of reefs ancient shorelines and river systems that would have flowed when the sea level was lower many thousands of years ago. To tell us all about it, it's a very warm welcome back to Triple R and Marinara from Deakin University, Associate Professor Dan Yerodiakonu. Good morning, Dan. Welcome back. Good morning, Bron. Thanks for having me. And hi, crew. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Dan. How are you? Rex here. G'day, Rex. <laughs> now, Dan, this is pretty exciting stuff. Um, I thought maybe first up, can you describe Apollo Bay Marine National Park? So where is it? How does it fit within the system of marine protected areas that we have here in Victoria? 
sure. Um, so the the Apollo Bay is part of the Commonwealth Marine Park network. So um, back in sort of the late uh, mid eighties, the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea required nations to protect um, resources in their in their exclusive economic zone. And and I suppose the Commonwealth Marine Park was sort of um, part of that network. So it's it's kind of a little bit disjointed from our state parks, um, which are you know absolutely fantastic, and we've done a lot of work there um, but yeah look we're finding lots of interesting features and, and uh, lots of things to explore further in, the, in this network of marine parks so the Apollo Bay Marine Park starts about three nautical miles um, south of Cape Otway and extends uh, about halfway to um, King Island a little bit further than halfway and covers an area of just over a thousand square kilometres. Yeah, it's absolutely massive and, and as we were saying, it's deep water so starts in depths of 50 metres or a bit less than yep. 50 metres and goes down to 100 metres in depth. That's right. So it's, um, it, it's quite fascinating because uh, when you think about Cape Otway, um, when you look out uh, into the deep where we're working, you actually see that subterranean extension of the Cape and then it sort of drops off and, and we see these amazing sort of river channels um, that were formed when sea levels were much lower and, you know, the average depth of the park is, is around sort of 80 metres. Does that present a challenge as far as imagery goes or has sort of technology developed so much over time that it's something that, that imagery can actually, that the technology can handle now? It's funny, like the technology uh, can handle it quite well. So we use multi-beam sonar systems. So uh, these systems have over 400 beams that allow us to scan areas of the sea floor. And it's, uh, actually working in deeper water is sometimes a lot easier than working in shallow water because you, your coverage is really dependent on your water depth. So if we're working in coastal waters of Victoria, say in 10 metres of water, we get about four, four times the water depth. So we can cover about 40 metres. Um, when we're working out deeper, we can get much larger coverage of the seabed. So it means that we can cover areas a lot more efficiency, but you don't get the same level of detail as you would in shallower waters. Yeah, right. Now, this mapping was a partnership between Deakin and also Parks Australia. Um, what can you tell us about Parks Australia? So Parks Australia uh, manage the Commonwealth Marine Park Network and they're really at the point of um, trying to better understand the values and the assets in the marine park. So it's not, you know, when we started a lot of this work in Victoria, we didn't know a lot about what was actually in the marine parks. And, for example, in Victoria, you know, we found new rotolith beds, um, dense networks of uh, invertebrate-dominated communities that we just didn't know were there. So um, this is really um, the start um, in, in Apollo where we, we're getting the ground data down where we can actually use this information to start to prioritise where we do the biological surveys so we can better understand the values and the assets that we have in these networks of Commonwealth Marine Parks. Let's have a look at the mapping exercise itself. Did you have a clear idea before you left shore what you wanted to map or was it a, was it a bit of a go out there and um, as, as Rex talks about mowing the lawn, um, <laughs> did, did you have an idea about what you wanted to see? Look, look, we did. We figured that um, based on the work that we've done for the state of Victoria, so we've actually mapped out three nautical miles off Cape Otway, so we could see that sort of extension, that subterranean extension of the Cape Otway ranges. So we figured that the most likely area of reef was going to be in the northern component of the park. So we continued mapping, um, as Rex uh, described earlier. We, we use a technique known as mowing the lawn, where we cover the edges of our swath to get a complete picture of the sea. Bed. 
And, um, you know, we really didn't have a budget to cover the entire, you know, 1,000 square kilometres of the park. So we systematically worked targeted areas moving further south. And there were some areas that we thought might have been some interesting features, some interesting peaks that, that were identified off much broader scale imagery. Um, so we were able to go out and target those areas as well. Hey, Dan, uh, Rexy. I mean, reefs and uh, fish are fair enough, but not really that interesting. Did you find any shipwrecks? <laughs> uh, we did. So, the, you know, it's um, quite an amazing park. And in the middle of it, um, in the middle of the area that we covered, we came across the city of Rayville wreck, which is um, incredibly, I suppose, important in terms of our history and, and the U.S. history in terms of World War II, because this wreck was actually the first U.S. casualty of World War II. Yes, yes, I know that, yeah, and carrying a cargo of lead. That's right. I think it had something like 3,000 tonnes of lead bullion um, that was getting transported from Port Pirie to New York for munitions manufacturing. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I love about mapping is that we come across all these types of things, you know, whether it be maritime archaeology or whether it be important sort of stories that we can link to our traditional owners of the lands that they used to walk across or fish. Um, and, yeah, this one's quite an interesting one. And, you know, most people don't realise that you know, um, the Germans um, in, in World War Two laid over 100 mines off Cape Otway. And the Prom. And the Prom as well, yeah, that's right. Because well, you've got the Cambridge the, the next day. Yes, that's it, yep, yep. So uh, the Cambridge um, went down as well, and we actually imaged the Cambridge for Parks Victoria um, some years ago as well. So we're starting to build up a bit of a collection of, uh, of shipwrecks that have been imaged. And, you know, this data is really important um, for those shipwrecks as well because we can actually document what's happening over those wreck sites and actually use this data to monitor um, how, how these areas are changing over time. There's a really nice little clip which has been put together um, on this particular um, uh, expedition voyage um, and uh, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page because it really shows the imagery that you've captured, uh, particularly of the vessel. It's, it's amazing to see. Yeah, thanks, Bron. Yeah, that was put together by Dr. Blake Allen, who actually runs one of our citizen science programs mapping uh, shorelines across Victoria. Um, so, yeah, it provides um, some really nice imagery of the seabed features. And, you know, it's not just a flat plane out there. There's a lot of structure. There's a lot of interesting things to explore. And also some footage of MV Yola, the research vessel that we use to undertake the mapping work. Yeah, it's a bit smaller than I imagined. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we've heard that before. Um, look, you know, the reality is five years ago, you would have needed a ship to do the work that we're doing. Yeah. Um, but we've been able to miniaturise all the equipment on this, you know, 10-metre vessel, if you like, um, that enables us to collect, you know, really high-quality data, um, um, better than we actually could 10 years ago on much larger ships, which means that, um, you know, doing the seabed mapping work um, is quite efficient and allows us to, to, to cover large areas for sort of conservation purposes. Oh, Dan, um, just one more question. Uh, are you utilising any ROV technology to get down and have a close look at the uh, seabed itself? Yeah, so we're in discussions with uh, Parks Australia at the moment. So we've got a few options available to us. Um, we use uh, remote 
cameras, beta camera systems, to get an idea of the fish diversity. Um, so we'll deploy those across features in the, in, the, in the marine park to understand the fish diversity. We use towed camera systems, um, and these systems allow us to get down to the seabed and document um, the, the, the plants and animals that are living on the seabed. Um, we also have very good links through the integrated marine observing systems, so um, we're able to use national assets such as the autonomous underwater vehicle Sirius um, that's, that's owned by that facility to generate very detailed three-dimensional pictures of the seabed to document the biota that's there. So we've got a few different options available to us to, to actually have a closer look at the seabed. I think, Dan, what we might do is um, get you back on in the next few weeks where we can talk, well, actually, maybe after you go out again and get some more uh, evidence of this because there's so much to talk about and so much to explore. And um, we'll, we'll treat this as a part two in the weeks <laughs> ahead because um, I really want to talk to you about the um, the evidence that you've picked up for these Ice Age river systems as well. But um, I think we might – we'll pause that one and then come back in a few weeks' time. Does that work for you? That works great. So I look forward to it and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, Dan. See you, Dan. Excellent. Thanks. See you, Rex. Bye for now. Uh, Associate Professor Dan Eurodiakunu and um, fantastic work that they're doing yeah, out there. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, we're going to play a station announcement. 9.51. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Just before that, we heard the beginning of a beautiful song by Eva Donovan called Night Fishing. We're going to play that in its entirety next week. <laughs> Because we have our next guest on the line, and uh, look, it's been a known, it's been known for a long time. Seagrass and mangroves they provide an important protective habitat for juvenile fish of many species. And expanding research over recent years has demonstrated their ecological services go a long way beyond a habitat to providing all sorts of critical functions like carbon sequestration, coastal protection, and uh, sustaining biodiversity in the longer term. If you had to put a dollar value on mangroves, seagrasses, and salt marshes, what would you say? Well, I wouldn't know where to start, but fortunately, our next guest has recently been looking into this. He's had a paper published in the journal Fish and Fisheries to tell us all about it. It's a very warm welcome to Deakin University's Holger Janus. Good morning, Holger. Welcome to Triple R. Good morning. Lovely to be here. How's it going? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. How about you? <laughs> yeah, very well. Very well indeed. Now, firstly, congratulations on having this great paper published mid-thesis. That's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty big attempt. <laughs> pretty good uh, effort there. Um, well, yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> now, I mentioned you're doing your PhD on the economic importance of uh, seagrass, mangrove and salt marsh habitats. What led you to study this? Uh, so, more broadly, it's, uh, it's um, kind of looking at fisheries and trying to work out, like you said, how, how would we start when we, put a, when we could even start thinking about putting a dollar value back to nature, right? So, trying to use fish abundances and biomass and some of that fishers also commercially and recreationally harvested, you know, and, and by using uh, dollar values from the fish prices, we can kind of work out based on fish numbers and biomass that these ecosystems support. It's a, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because at a philosophical level, I certainly feel compelled to push the argument that we don't need to put a dollar value on everything. But it's certainly, mm. you know, there are situations where it certainly helps. And for some people, that's the only... Um, that's the only thing that they will accept to convince them of maybe going one way or another in terms of making a decision on something. Mm. I, I think I very much uh, lean towards 
what you're saying, like philosophically, every day I think about it. Oh, it seems so cruel to to put dollar values on nature. Maybe it should be something that is so highly regarded anyways, you know. But if it helps communication and efforts to restore areas that we've lost over time, you know, the technology is now there and the science can provide us tools to investigate what was uh, previously the condition of different ecosystems, how does it compare to nowadays, you know. And, and we can use modern technology and restore what's been lost. Hi, Holger, it's uh, Rex here. Just well, do you have any particular area studying the seagrass within Victoria or Australia-wide? Mm. Mm. Uh, the, the paper that I got now published in Mid-Thesis, there I looked at seagrass like Australia-wide. However, I have to give you a heads up that there will be a new publication emerging more specifically from Port Phillip Bay. Uh, that would be of great relevance in the people in, uh, in the region specifically. And, and there, fortunately enough, there's been long-term fisheries data sets, uh, recreational data sets, but also fish sampling and monitoring. And, and it was possible actually to value seagrass in Port Phillip Bay in relation to King George whiting production. You know, whiting such an important species in the bay and without seagrass, we could think that there might not be much more whiting left because during the juvenile stages, seagrass provides such a critical habitat you know, and again, using fish abundances, biomass, and, and dollar figures, we could we could estimate how much a hectare of seagrass in, in given region of Port Phillip Bay is worth, you know. What are there differences between the seagrass around Bellerin Peninsula or Geelong Arm com compared to Rosebud, for example? All right, so let's let's get to the, the guts of this, Hogger. What did you actually <laughs> <Yeah>. find? <laughs> so, in a nutshell, uh, in Port Phillip Bay, we have 6,665 hectares of seagrass, right? And and within that region, in relation to King George Whiting specifically, that's unpublished yet, but it's soon to come out, like you said, is there anything more specifically from Victoria? Then uh, uh, we were able to map out that a hectare of seagrass roughly produces uh, up to 1,000 individuals of King George Whiting. And, and then translate to quite a significant amount of biomass all across the bay. That's incredible. And that's just one species of fish. One species of fish, exactly. Only one species. And it's uh, similarly known that there are close associations with uh, different species of mullets, for example, seagrass and mullets. Um, several prawn species, if we go further in New South Wales, then actually some of the highest economic value uh, from the recently published paper originates from, from crabs and prawns, you know, that have close associations with seagrass because they're highly sought after and high commercial value as well. Uh, uh, Rex here again. Um, I, I do understand why you're putting dollar value on, um, well, probably putting words in your mouth there, but obviously to talk to governments, you need to say this, this uh, seagrass or mangroves has a value and this is why. Mm. should preserve it is that was that sort of part of your thinking as well most definitely most definitely because uh, if we think why a lot of seagrass and mangrove and salt marsh has been lost over the past 50 years then it often comes down to um, decision making in the sense of you know whether this land is converted into an alternative type 
maybe for housing, maybe for some other type of agricultural activity, you know, that always brings in a financial return on investment, right? But conservation actions quite often might, might lack that component. And in, in order to maybe promote, you know, or highlight that if we conserve these habitats, we can also create economic revenue that will be very beneficial directly to the fishery sector, but also, you know, tourism industry, recreational activities, and so on and so forth. So I'm hoping to provide an argument or, or at least a way forward in terms of numbers that we can rely on. Holger, what I think we'll do is, uh, as I've mentioned with our previous guest, we'll line up a time for you to come back on because there's so much to unpack here. You've looked at so much of the Australian coastline, different coastal habitat ecosystems and, and a multitude of species. And uh, how whereabouts are you within your PhD? Are you sort of about the halfway mark? To be honest, I think it's a very exciting times because I'm aiming to submit my thesis actually next week. Oh, excellent. That's, 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 Good that's work. the goal that, I, that I've uh, set, uh, and, I, and I think we're coming together. I actually yesterday did some final edits on the document, and, and I think it's coming together coming together well. Quite, quite unrealistic to think of, you know. <laughs> excellent. Well, look, we'll line up a time for you to come in. We can explore this at greater length, because I know Farm Sharko is very keen. Um, she would, be, would have loved to have been here for part of this conversation as well. So um, mm-hmm. we'll organise a time when Farm is going to be here, um, have you in the studio, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about this at greater length. Most definitely. would be happy to come back and happy to explain further. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.